Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back and thank you so much for joining us here today on this bonus episode where we're bringing some more interviews from the Learning on Fire podcast back into this Education on Fire umbrella. Um, It's really important for me that we talk about not just the academic side of things in schools but also the sorts of learning experiences that people have outside of that through teachers, through mentors, through the things they've been told and the advice they've been given, the resources they've come across and that was really what I wanted to do with Learning on Fire. And why I think it's important that as we merge these two things that you get the chance to hear what I've already previously done and also to show you a little bit about how we're going to be moving forward and integrate as part of Education on Fire. So I hope you enjoy this episode. This is John Froman, originally released back in November 2019. And it really just shows how showing up in the world and leading by example just makes such a big difference to everyone in your life. Now, the reason we decided to stop doing Learning on Fire is because we wanted to expand education on fire and have this idea of a Patreon community. And the point of that really is the fact that most of us who've got children know that we have things we'd like to impart. We've got skills, we've got experiences that we think are really important to our children. But we also know that don't necessarily want to listen to us. They're on their own journey. They need access to these things in their own time, in their own way. So the idea of the Patreon Education on Fire group of elders that are able to do this is to have interviews, conversations where we can actually create fantastic content which you can then gift to your children so that they can find these things in their own time when it's important to them, when their journey feels like it's what they need. So do go and check that out. If you go to patreon.com forward slash education on fire, you can find out more about that. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash education on fire thanks for listening and i hope you find this episode as enjoyable as i did there comes a time in every person's life when you realize it's not about doing what you are told but doing what you know is right for you let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people who are living the life of their dreams walking through life using their inner wisdom and being of service to others forget exams grades and test scores What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning on Fire podcast. Today I'm talking to John Vroman. Hi John, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are. All right, man. Uh, it's good to be here. And the journey of who I am, that should be really simple. We're all such simple people, right? <laughs> <laughs> it all started when I was one day old. Um, yeah. Do you want me to you want me to take you back through through the years a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Let's let's just talk a little bit about where you where, where you're living now, the kind of um, the kind of things that you're into. I mean, I know as being part of your 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 group in in terms of front row dads but also yeah. the front row foundation just give people a flavor of the sorts of things yeah, that you do yeah, in your yeah. day-to-day awesome well i usually say that uh primarily i'm a father and i'm a husband and i've been married for 11 years i have two wonderful boys tiger and ocean they are 10 and 5 and we live in austin texas and uh 
I would say that my week is basically split up into two categories. I have a nonprofit called Front Row Foundation, which helps kids and adults who have a life-threatening illness to go to the live event of their dreams from the front row. uh, And then we have a for-profit business called Front Row Dads, and we help high-performing entrepreneurial dads to be family men with businesses, not businessmen who happen to have families. And that, uh, you know, between uh, all those activities, I feel like I live a very full and exciting life. How did the foundation come about? I mean, it's such a wonderful thing and such a a life affirming thing for people to hear. How how, how did you get involved in that? Yeah, you know, the answer uh, is it's not really that dramatic from the standpoint of I didn't have cancer. I didn't know somebody who had cancer. It wasn't that. It was just a calling to want to do something nice for people. That was it. It was, I was involved in communities and I had coaches that were challenging me to look at different categories of my life, one of which was contribution, and say, how do you feel? And I I didn't feel great about the contribution category. I didn't feel like I was really making a difference. I mean, you could argue that I was through my work or whatever it was, uh, but genuinely in my heart, I felt like there was more that I could do where the type of giving that you, you like to just do something nice for somebody and don't expect anything in return. There's something really powerful about that and feeling like you, you gave without expecting a trade of some type. And, you know, the, the, the trade, if there was one, was that you'll probably feel really good in your heart. And you know that if you do the right type of giving, that is what you'll receive. And there is a gift there. But uh, that's really where it started. And, you know, the journey to get to the to like what kind of charity or how did we choose Front Row Foundation? That's a longer story, um, which we can explore if you want. Uh, but basically, it's a it's a story of values. What do you care about? What are you good at? What would you, what problem would you like to solve? Who do you want to help? And then ultimately for us, it was, we wanted to help people who are facing, you know, a a life-threatening situation to have an experience that would help them to feel celebrated, help them come alive and feel like they could um, maybe bring a little light to some of their dark moments in life. I mean, one of the things that always strikes me from the things I, I listen to you and what you're doing is the fact that you have these ideas, as you sort of explained there in terms of pillars, areas of your life that you focus on really sort of clearly and, and with real intention. Is that something you learned? Is it something that you suddenly understood at a certain age? Because I think it, it just gives so much clarity to how you want to live your life. And I think as teenagers, and especially lots of us as we're growing up, and certainly as a parent trying to you know, support my kids as we go through in terms of, you know, get off the phone you know go out and do something and all of that and it's not that they do that all the time but when I sort of have those things myself thinking oh I just want to be able to inspire them to to think of other people or to do something for someone else just because they want to not because they're being told it just sounds like you've got that kind of understood and are able to act on it if you talk to my parents when you know about my life when I was a teenager they would probably start crying because of the pain that I put them through because of how I was (laughs) acting and um, yeah, my behaviors, it was, uh, it was, you know, the, the, that story of my life is actually quite important to the story of my life now, as is with most of us. But, you know, so let me tell you what I think is relevant to what you're getting at, which is that when I was 16, I was shy of five feet tall and weighed less than a hundred pounds. And I was driving a car and I looked like a nine year old. 
I went to an endocrinologist who did a bone scan and determined that at 15, I did have the bone age of a nine-year-old. I ended up getting some human growth hormone shots, which triggered my growth. Um, But those years where I was very, very short, I had developed a mindset uh, being a victim, developed a mindset of, you know, it was my story. If I weren't, if, if, if I could just be taller, I would be better. Right. And, um, and then when I became taller and I probably realized that that wasn't going to solve all my problems and that what I was chasing was significance. I was chasing being important. People telling me I was great. I craved that attention. Right. And so what I did is I did anything to get it. Uh, And I learned from Tony Robbins years ago when I was going through a lot of his training courses, he said something really brilliant, which was that we'll often compromise our values to meet our needs. And I had a need for significance and connection, and I compromised my values um, of like how to treat people well so that I could get attention. I would act out. I was in this one place of life. I was skipping school. I was drinking heavily. I was acting like a jerk on many, many levels. And I, you know, I'm saddened when I think about that and the pain that I caused my mom and my dad and all the people that loved and cared about me and wanted to see me excel. But I was in a lot of pain, you know, in my life. And then what happened when I was about 18, I found a company that uh, it was supposed to be a part-time job. And you may have heard of them. A lot of people have, they sell cut cone knives. So it's a kitchen cutlery company. And they do it in people's homes. They schedule appointments. You go in, you pitch the knives, you sell them, and you try to get referrals to their neighbors or friends and family, et cetera. And that's how the business works. Um, I, I, I interviewed with them when I was 18 and got the job. Now, here's what was cool. What was cool is that because it's a sales organization, and like many sales organizations, they have kind of weekly meetings where they try to excite everybody. But they were teaching really good skills how to manage your mindset, how to, right? So I started getting exposed at that age. So to answer your question, and I know it took a little bit longer of a way to get there, but I was a total disaster. But because I got around the right people, because they gave me the right frameworks, it got me thinking about those things, gave me new tools. I said, oh, there's a different way to live. Oh, there's a different way to think about things. I was never, I never knew that. I got excited about it. Um, That idea of taking control of your life, at least the things that you can control, right? Like your reactions and your behaviors and your habits and all of that. And then I just went on a path. I went on a war path of like I invested in conferences and books and I I just hired coaches and I fell in love with personal growth. The, The act of being personally responsible for my uh, my, the way I show up in the world really excited me. I love that. And I love the fact that you're sort of 18 years old at at that kind of stage, because the one thing I struggle with, um, on a fairly regular basis, especially as I I sort of going through the podcast and chatting to people is the fact that when I look back, um, to my sort of teenage self, it's that kind of, would I take the sorts of advice that is so valuable from people that I'm chatting to as a teenager, you know, and, and what I loved about what I heard there is the fact that 
you were suddenly in this community of people, albeit within a job, that was showing you these ways forward, and it spoke to you, and you took action, and it did make a big difference to your life. So I'm thinking that actually, it's somewhere along the line, if it's going to speak to you, it's not necessarily just an age position. It's actually where your mindset is and where you feel like you can actually make a difference. I think you have to be ready for the upgrade. Right. Like I think the hardware has to be ready for the new software. And what's interesting is it's, it's literally like when I if I have a, you know, uh, an old iPad and my dog saying hi there. Um, <laughs> if, if you have an old iPad. Right. And then they come out with a new operating system and they say to you, hey, you can't upgrade your soft, your iPad because you're, it's, you know, it's like it's it's not ready for it. Uh, it's not it doesn't have what it needs to in order to be upgraded. So a lot of times the information's there, the upgrades available, the information, the questions, the ideas, the frameworks, it's all there. We just have to be ready for it. Right. We have to be in a place where we are um, prepared to accept that wisdom. And sometimes that's just luck. And sometimes, you know, it comes our way. It hits us over the head. And sometimes we have to go chase it. But either way, I think it's a meeting of both willingness and opportunity. And and I think one thing that that reminds me of is um is sometimes you sort of think, you know, how should I show up in the world? You know, should I give some advice? Should I just keep myself to myself? What should I say to someone who I think needs a bit of help, but are they actually going to listen to me? And the best piece of advice I was ever given was just whatever you think is best is the right thing and sometimes that might be different on one day than it is on the next day because you don't know how that person's going to be so just does it feel like you need to say something yes do you just need to listen is it important that you give them this book because you know it's made a difference in your life and 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 it just is all you can do is just do that and then the rest of it you let be and it will be whatever it happens to be for that other person yeah, you know, years ago there was. Um, now, would you, would you, would your listeners, the Columbine shooting, would that be something they'd be familiar with here in the U.S. that happened where the kids went into the school and shot a bunch? Of, you mean, have you, have you, do you know about this? Yeah, do carry on. Okay. Here. Yeah. Well, anyway, th- this happened years ago. Um, you know, a couple of kids. It was a mass shooting, and it was horrible and horrific, and it was. Uh, a a big topic of conversation. You know, people were talking about this, of course, as they should have been. And I remember watching David Letterman um, and there, there was Marilyn Manson, you know, the rocker Marilyn Manson was on the show and being interviewed. And I'll never forget, at least this is the story I remember about it. I'd have to, I actually want to go back and watch the interview because I think we tell our stories and they change over the years. But what I remember, and here's what I learned, David Letterman said, if you could talk to those kids before they went into that school and started shooting everybody, what would you have said to them? And it kind of goes back to that advice question. Like if you could give advice to your younger self, if you could give advice to a young person, if you could give advice to somebody before they made that decision. And he said something that was so smart. He said, you know, I wouldn't have said anything. He said that the problem, that's the problem. He says, I would have asked them questions and listened Right. And I think that there was a lot of brilliance in that of saying in those situations where a lot of times in life, people are like, here's what you need to know. Here's here. I need to tell you this versus asking questions and allowing for people to be heard and seen and witnessed and right. And uh, to be compassionate with them and then to celebrate them and to challenge them with additional questions and more listening. That is the hardest thing 
right? In our dad's group, we talk about oftentimes that giving people, you know, we want to solve problems. You always hear people talk about men, especially entrepreneurial men trying to solve problems for their wives. And it creates all this conflict in the marriage because like she doesn't want you to solve the problem. She just wants you to be compassionate and to hear what she's saying Mm -hmm, and to feel her, not fix her. Right. Um, And uh, I think that's a, that's a big thing. I was going somewhere with that, but I don't even remember where I was going. There was a point to that. There's a point to, there's a point to all that, but oh, oh, it's just about listening. And I said, listen, if you want to help, which what guys do when they start giving advice, I go, help is listening. You are giving her the gift of your attention. You are solving a problem that she's having by not being heard by listening well. And I think that that's a big part of being a great parent, being a great friend, being a great spouse, more listening, less advice giving, less talking, right? Less, less, here's what you should do. And if you do, it's, hey, I remember feeling what I, I, I think you're expressing. I remember feeling that way. And here's what I did, or here's what I experienced. And just sharing a story like that can also go a long way. I think that's really true. And, and, I, and I do have to ha- um, remind myself of that sometimes. You sort of think, well, my kids must know all these things that happened to me because I know them so intimately because of course it's my history and I think mm-hmm. but actually have I actually shared that did they actually know that took place um, yeah and more often than not they didn't because you have these conversations in your head but you don't necessarily verbalize it and I love that idea of being able to you know ask questions that are relevant to them at the time and then how that interweaves into your experience in that shared experience then yeah so you've talked well we very clearly heard how your life is different now from when you were growing up from like say from a physical point of view and also from obviously um an emotional and a mental point of view but just going back into your school experience what do you think was valuable about it because i know lots of people um and i've heard you talk about it whether you homeschool whether you go into private school whether you're in state school all those sorts of things but what was what did you find valuable about your own school experience and there's probably some teachers in there that you remember and and usually had yeah. a big impact as well yeah, I, I did. Um, you know, but not as many as I would think. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> Sometimes I look back and I'm like, gosh, I, I really don't remember a lot of my teachers or the impact they made on my life. It, um, you know, and that's, that has more to, to do with me than them. I truly believe of where I was at that time and how I showed up because, you know, I think teachers are, you know, oftentimes the game changer in a, in a child or young adult's life. Um, but my experience was this, um, I grew up in a military family. My dad was Navy. And so we moved, uh, quite a bit, you know, it was sometimes, you know, it'd be two years and we're out. Sometimes it was four years and we're out and into a new school. What my experience with school was that uh, there's a couple of things. One, I appreciated new schools because I could reinvent myself. That was important. I didn't like school because I'm not the type of person who did well in a traditional school environment. I'm not the type of person who wants to sit for long periods of time and then memorize and repeat facts. Right. I'm not that person. And, and I've, that's clearly demonstrated by how I've chosen to live the last, you know, 20 uh, some years of my life. Right. Um, but I think that was really painful for me. So for me, school was quite painful. There were things I have very fond memories of, like photography class. I really fell in love with photography and um, art classes where I'd found out that I had a knack for drawing. Um, there were teachers that I remember along the way, even as young as, you know, fourth grade, I was in a charter school in South Carolina and my teacher, I recall him very, very well. And I recall his energy. I recall his calm, 
patient energy. Uh, I think I appreciated the teachers that saw the best in me. Right. Um, and, and I think that's a challenge with the grading system is like, here's here's some stuff. We're going to standardize everything. Uh, you over there, you're OK. You're valuable. And you over here, not so much. Right. So I, I really feel that the best teachers and the experiences that I had in school were the ones where teachers reminded me that my gifts to the world uh, are ones where I can, you know, I can use my strengths in order to make a difference. And I did have those people, which I thought were, were really wonderful teachers. Um, so my, you know, my, my schooling was very interesting because in my sophomore year, when I was 16, I got straight A's. My dad said, if you get straight A's, I'll buy you a car. Well, then he bought me a car and I got these human growth hormone shots. And all of a sudden, like the next year, I was failing out of school, skipping school, drinking during school. So I had quite a various, uh, you know, a variety of experiences during that time. But what I remember and what I appreciate is that when you have people around you that love and care about you, um, that's a good thing. Doesn't always feel that way at the time. Like as an example, when I was in my senior year, I drew a picture of, you know, this a it was kind of a dramatic picture of, of, of a person uh, shooting themselves. Like, I was very sad. I was very depressed. I drew this picture of this person shooting themselves and they called me down to the principal and talked to me about, um, you know, brought in a psychologist to talk to me. And at the time I was like, ah, this is, these guys don't get it. Like I'm just drawing a picture like, uh, you know, they're idiots. Uh, I'm fine. Now looking back, it's like, yeah, they just recognized that I had a lot of pain you know, and um, they were trying to be care caring for me in those places. That's what I really remember about my school time is is people that saw the best of me. As well, as, as we know now, you know, even, even being in, in, in with, like, say, a group of dads, it's that kind of, it's actually relating on whatever level that happens to be. And I think you're right. It's a theme that comes back time and time again about the teacher being the person that saw me. It was the person that understood me, not yeah. the person that got me from a D to a C or a B to an A. You know, that exactly. never comes up. Never exactly. comes up. Um, I even think that way about my best friend, like John Kane, one of my best friends, uh, my best friend, like the best friend, like he is a guy that I felt for the first time in my life when I was in my mid 20s, he was my boss, but he had this ability to sort of see the good in me. Right. And, and say, hey, look, you know, yeah, you're, you're not perfect in every area. That's cool. But here's where you're really good. Here's where you shine. Let's ride that wave. And man, he is to this day, we're best of friends. And it's been a 20 year relationship that's been building, but mostly in seeing the good in each other. I love that. And, and I had a conversation with my daughter the other day and she, we were talking about subjects because she's got to do some electives this year in terms of what she's going to study for her main exams and, and college and what am I going to do for this and whatever. And I said, you know, just wind it back. It's just kind of, what is it about life that you love? You know, and she's like, well, I really mm -hmm. like being around people. I like having fun. I couldn't be doing something on my own. I couldn't do this. And I said, and what sort of things do you enjoy doing? I don't like writing loads of things, but I really like the creative side of photography. Like you said, it's something that she loves doing as well. And I said, can you see that all of a sudden there's a picture there of the sort of thing that you want your life to look like? It doesn't have to be that I want to get this grade to get into this college or I want to take this course to do that because that's going to change all the time. But actually, you've got a really great understanding of who you are, the sorts of people you want to put yourself around 
and who can encourage you to be yourself and and from there you really are in a really strong position i think just to allow life to unfold and just follow with it with great instincts rather than just trying to plan these things out in a very mental kind of way that's absolutely right who did you admire when you were young and what was it about that person that had such an impact on you (laughs) <laughs> a bunch of people just popped into my head as you asked that. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, here's what's crazy about my witnessing my own reaction to that question. Like, I'm actually shocked at the name that just popped into my head. It was a guy when I was probably 12. I was uh, taking martial arts, a style of martial arts called Kung Nu. It was a Vietnamese style. I took it on a military base with my dad. And one of the senseis his name was jay and i'll never forget jay i don't know what it was i thought he was cool he was i but he like made me want to be better the interesting thing is i don't know why he's the first guy that just popped into my mind i don't talk about jay often i didn't write about jay i don't have any communication with jay i couldn't even really tell you what it was about jay but there was something about that now here's what i find interesting about that comment sometimes the, the people that are very influential in our lives are the least suspecting ones, the ones that, you know, it's like, really, that's the guy. So I tell a story in my speeches about a time when I was uh, in New Jersey where we used to live and I was with my son who was four or five at the time and we were at a park and they had set up a rock wall that you could pay to climb. Well, my son wanted to climb and I was trying to talk him out of it because I thought it was too expensive and I, I thought he was too small and he wasn't going to be able to do it, but he kind of, he was persistent. And finally I was like, all right, let's go give it a shot. I didn't believe at all that he could climb this wall, but he put on the harness and went like 35 feet up on the wall. And I'm standing there in amazement saying, holy crap, like, look at this kid. That's amazing. Totally blown away. Now he gets to the part of the wall where he's stuck. It's too difficult. So he looks down to me and he's like, Papa, because I can't. And I, I, I shout back up to him what I thought was great fatherly comment, a great fatherly comment. I said, it's all right, buddy. You tried, right? Like, hey, I'm really proud of you for trying. And I thought that's a great comment. But I realized that comment was filled with doubt in his ability. It was almost like I said, yep, I knew it, buddy. I knew you weren't going to do it. Come on back down. You gave it one try. But there was a guy who was working at that rock wall and he believed that my son could do it. He saw something else. So in that moment, this total stranger to my son and to me just shouted up to my son. He says, hey, little man, try again. Brilliant advice, right? Like I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm the worst dad in the world. (laughs) (laughs) We've all been there. (laughs) My son with this, you know, with this vote of confidence right? This new challenge, this new question, this new possibility in his life from a total stranger grabs a hold of the rock wall and makes it to the very top. Now, could that have been a defining moment of his life? Could that have been an, an anchor that was made about his ability to, to seek the top of the, you know, to reach the top of the mountain, to keep going, to try again? Could that have been programming in that moment, right? And I believe the answer is yes. So here's what's crazy about the story. The crazy about the story is, um, a couple years later, we moved to Austin, Texas. My son wants to climb and becomes like a very good climber, like a competitive climber. Now, I couldn't help but think back to that man's moment where he challenged my son to go for it. 
and I thought he could have very easily been that one, that one word, that one vote, that one belief in my son that he needed in order to succeed and in order to believe in himself and then pursue that path. Now, I, I also want the final part of this is that I couldn't help but wonder, why did I do that? I'm his dad. I'm a motivational speaker. I'm a coach. Like my, I've run ultra marathons. I believe in human potential, right? So there's this part of me that's going, how did I miss that? And then I realized that oftentimes what we do when we're really close to somebody is we'll treat them like we remember them yesterday, mm-hmm. not as who they've become today or could become in any one given moment. Now, not only did I realize that I could do that to my son, I could do that to anybody on my team, I could do that to my wife, I could do that to anybody, but I also realized that I do that to myself. I realized that I see myself like I was yesterday. I see myself as my story, right? See, the, the danger is to see yourself as your story, especially if it's not an empowering one. And so that, that became a very important lesson to me about people in my life that were very influential and how they could show up at the weirdest times like that guy, Jay. I go, I don't even know why I have such an affection for him, but there's people like that in my life that I think just inspired me somehow, and I really appreciate them. And let's just dive slightly more in, in, into what you said there in terms of the, the story thing's massive. I mean, I think we could all identify with that. You know, I'm the person who is this, or I'm the person yeah. who isn't that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you've already talked about, you know, having your sort of younger days and how your life changed during your teenage years and then moved on, and now you're talking about being a father. But, you know, that story... Is, is is always still relevant isn't it you know how, how does the story change it's, it's not necessarily a kind of my story was this and now it's this and forever on it's kind of what am I saying about myself today and do I want that to still be the same tomorrow or how exactly. do I change it it's an ongoing yep. conversation is that right really yeah I mean I used to tell myself that the reason that I wasn't further along was because I got off to a slow start that was the story that held me back Right. So the reason I'm not further along is because I had this bad attitude or I was short or whatever. I wasn't, you know, didn't I I didn't have this. Therefore, I don't have this now. Then the story became, man, my past gave me strength. My past gave me perspective. And that pain becomes your purpose. So now my deepest pain in life was not feeling witnessed, seen, heard. And and it's not because I didn't have great parents. I had wonderful parents. But it's just right. We can just have beliefs. Right. So that was my belief. Now my role in life is to make people feel witness, to empower them to show up, right? I still struggle with it. Like I went to a festival with my wife the other night. If anybody follows me on social, by the way, you'll see (laughs) these pictures of me and my wife and she's all got glitter on and she looks hot. She looks really good. And we're at this festival and she's dancing like nobody's watching, right? She just dances super free. I mean, it's one of the things I love about her. And I'm standing there with my hands in my pocket and I'm like, I cannot move. I can't get myself to dance. I can't get myself to move. And it's because the reality is because I care about what people think about me. And I feel like if I dance, people are going to be laughing at me or joking, you know, whatever. And it's like I intellectually understand that that's not true per se, right? That uh, people don't care about you as much as you think they do in those environments, right? It's like they're just going to be like, look at that guy having a great time. Like, you know, Um, but I, but I, I, I still wrestle with this. I still wrestle with um, limiting beliefs, old stories, right? But 
your pain becomes your purpose. And that's what it, that's, that's what it did for, that's what happened with me. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people. I love that. And, and I, I think just understanding that we're all just constantly on, on that treadmill, you know, and I think like say that intellectual idea against the reality and the emotional side of it and, you know, all of that jumbled up together. It just is what it is. And I and I think once you identify that's what it is, it kind of frees you then because I think you could always talk yourself into that letting go can't you it's like oh i've got it again i'm here again you know a little slap mm-hmm. man in the back of the head right now i'm gonna dance or whatever the situation happens to be but like i say it, do, it does take you on that journey what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you man i think there's uh you know there's advice that there, there's advice i don't know who to credit for this but i heard somebody say um there's just in time advice and there's just in case advice right so just in case good to know this, but there's time when somebody gives you advice and you're ready for it. And it was just at the right time that they gave you that advice. I think that when I look back over my life, there is so difficult to think about the best advice, right? It's very difficult to think about one moment because there's so many moments. They all blend together like, like a book, like every word of a book, right? To create the chapters, to create the storyline. Um, what I think is that if I had to pick one, like if I had to, because I can, right? We can all just choose. And if I had to think of the best advice, um, and, and we'll call it being channeled, right? Because I don't know who to credit. You know, sometimes we actually say things like we thought of them and they're our own, but we actually heard somebody else say them, yeah, but we don't yeah. remember <laughs> right? So I likely heard this from somebody. Um, uh, and actually, you know what? I, I do remember where I heard this. I'll credit the guy that I heard it from first, and I'll tell you how I recreated it. Jamie Clark, he was a professional speaker, mountain climber, really, really good speaker. And I remember when he said, when, you're why, when your why is strong enough, your how reveals itself. When your why is strong enough, your how reveals itself. That to me, I thought was some of the most empowering wisdom on the planet because it talks about finding purpose. And when you find purpose, you find power. I translated that because I was, I remember back in 2005 running my first ultra marathon, I turned it into when your why has heart, your how gets legs. Because we were attempting to do this 52 mile marathon without any training basically. And I knew that the thing that was going to get us through was, was heart, was, was going to be in my mind, not my conditioning of my body. It was going to be in my mind. So I had to think about I needed a big purpose. But I oftentimes think that's the way everything is, right? Like we were having a conversation this morning with the Front Row Foundation staff, and we were stuck on this thing, this debate that we were having about how to do this thing. And I just paused and said, time out, guys. Let's talk about why do we exist as a charity? Let's go back to what is our purpose. Why are we here? Why does this work matter? We got clear about that. We had conversation. I said, now with that clarity, what's the right decision? And it was instant. We knew exactly what to do when we had clarity about why we existed, right? So you don't, like people often ask me like, how do you start a charity? I want to start a charity. I go, don't worry about how to start a charity. Starting a charity is actually easy, right? You file some paperwork with the government and you're a charity. <laughs> now, running a charity, that's a whole other question, right? Raising money, running the charity, staff, taxes, all that stuff, or, or finances, bookkeeping, all that. 
uh, that's the big stuff. But man, when you, when you want something and you've got like, man, I know why I must do that, right? Why I must do that today, right? What's the cost of not doing it? What's the benefit of doing it? Why does this matter? Why are we the ones to do it? Then we find out how. So I think that's the best advice because it connects you to your purpose before your, before your next step. Yeah, and, and just having that as a place to even contemplate before you even start your day or, or before you come against anything. And I love that way of actually that clarity in order for you to be able to move on in anything that you're doing, I think is, is such a valuable thing. Yeah. Um, what does your future look like? And I really like this question because it, it means something different to so many different people. So I'm really interested knowing knowing a bit of your background about where you're going to take this. Man, I you know, I here's what I what I believe about the future. I actually really believe in the power of looking out into the future. I talk, I talk about hope a lot in the charity and in the business. And it's written in the Front Row Factor book a lot about hope. And hope isn't this weak word. I've seen hope motivate people to get out of wheelchairs and to lead epic lives, right? I've seen hope for the future drive power in the present moment. That's where hope is at its best. Hope is is very different than what people call wishful thinking. I wish things were different. That's not what we're talking about. That's not true hope. Hope is deep inside your heart that when you are hopeful for something, you are willing to take action on it to make it come true. You have it. I have, I have a hope that our planet pulls together, a deep hope that our planet pulls together in order to um, save itself. I don't, the reason I say hope, and people will challenge me on this, I know that I'll ruffle some feathers with this, the reason I say hope is that, look, I'm gonna be, I, I believe in hope because I think hope gives me a reason to take action. I believe action has to happen. I don't think you can just hope. Hope isn't enough, right? Hope isn't a good plan. <laughs> I've, I've heard people say that and I agree 100%. Hope's not the total plan. But hope is a part of the plan, right? So I think we need that. Um, I think we must look into the future. I just realized that if I look back, I suck at predicting the future. <laughs> I mean, if I go back 10 years ago and could I have predicted predicted everything about like exactly where I'm going to be? It's like, no, I wouldn't even be living in this. I'm not in the same city. Austin, Texas wasn't even on my radar 10 years ago, right? Um, 20 years ago, I probably didn't even know Austin, Texas was even an option, right? So I, I, I hesitate sometimes getting too far out with details, but what I do get excited about is values. What I do believe about the future, what I believe the future holds is an evolution of my values, a clarity on my conscience of, of, of who I am and what I'm here to do. That's what I'm excited about. That's what I see for my future is hopefully a guy, if I'm, and I believe we're gifted days. I don't believe that you do anything to earn this. I mean, look, you put on your seatbelt, good for you, right? If you're in a car accident, you got a better chance of making it. But if it's your time, it's your time. Right. I mean, literally, you could do everything right. And if it's just time, it's time. That's it. It could just, you know, uh, I remember hearing a story about a, a guy who is this incredibly accomplished, you know, Navy SEAL. He was a war hero, if you will. Uh, right. Tough as nails. Right. Could do anything. Iron Man triathlete. And he's sitting at his car at a traffic light with his seatbelt on. Drunk driver crosses the median, hits him, kills him. That's it. So I think what we need to be doing is we need to be looking into the future, but recognizing that 
we're not going to be able to control most of what happens. But what we can do is we can think and be inspired about who we'd like to become and what our possible impact could be and, and, and how might we get there. Right. And then bring it, reel it back into this present moment and go kick ass today in the best way that you can. That's what I think. I love that. And I, and I think it really is that I think the, the most important thing there is, like I say, the hope and the action and how those two combine and how they play with each other and then just enjoy the rides. And, and like I say, put that with your true self and how it all comes together. And then what a great life to be able to live. Yeah. So this this final question, and I can imagine this isn't going to be a, an either or. It may be a, a, an area that you want to discuss. But what podcast, book, video, film, song, or any resource has had the biggest impact on your life, and why was that? So I've got a. I mean, I can give you what I get this question, you know, and um, I've got my my answer. I know what the book is, and it's not what most people think. The book is called uh, the book is called Ultra Marathon Man by Dean Carnassus. This is the book I read back in 2005 that really challenged me to do more with what I had, to think bigger, right? Believe in myself at a deeper level. I think that book was very, it arrived at the right time. It was the right words on the pages that really got me inspired. So that book to me, I think is excellent. And I could give you a bunch of books that I think are really, really, really fantastic. Of course, we all could. Like one of my best friends wrote The Miracle Morning, which is changing lives all over the world, right? So there's all these books that are truly amazing. But I think some of the ones are the ones that just hit you at the right time. And I think it's a great book. Dean ran these incredible distances. And it was just how he turned his life around. And he said, you know what? No more mediocrity. I'm going to find out what I'm made of. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to find out what I'm made of, right? That was cool. Yeah. I, I really I really just love that idea that like the, the thing that's come through this whole conversation is about things happening at the right time and and that play between the action and the wanting to make a difference and actually it being the right time for that to be the case and like you say You're right. th- these books or the song or the podcast and I know that's happened to me many times I didn't even go looking for it but it suddenly hit me and I looked yeah. at it or heard it and I thought yeah course it is <laughs> you know and that wouldn't have been the same the day before or maybe even the day after but it just did at that time and yeah and props to you by the way for recognizing the pattern that really says a lot about your listening uh and your ability to connect the dots so bravo oh thank you so i mean you've got such an incredible life and you've got so many things and you're so inspirational in in so many different ways in terms of really bringing hope to people but i think just sharing that positivity and your insights and your understanding that just sort of brings that community together under that umbrella so where can people find out um, more about you and all those things that you've been talking about uh the the main website for everything is frontrowfactor.com you can find out about the charity and dad's group and all that stuff um if you're a dad out there listening and you want to get connected to an awesome group of men who are you know doing great things and wanting to be family men with businesses not businessmen with families um just go straight to frontrowdads.com and uh yeah and i think that those places will get you to where you need to be i don't know where you came up with that particular strap line but i think it's absolutely brilliant and it just literally laser clear focus on exactly what it's about and i i congratulate you on not only coming up with that but actually creating the reality of that in um in thank in, you in, in this world because it's absolutely brilliant so well can i tell you something i know we're wrapping here but i yeah I, sure I, because you mentioned it i've got to say why that came up um, and it's because I was failing as a dad, right? I started front row dads 
not because I was crushing it and wanted to tell everybody how to be awesome like me. It was because I was getting crushed and wanted help. <laughs> and so I said, let me get a group of guys together and figure out some of this stuff, right? So what happened was I was at a party and somebody had asked what I do. And I knew what they were saying professionally, what do you do? And I was answering, I'm a speaker, I'm a writer, I'm a whatever. But then I cut myself off and I said, you know, I'm a father and a husband. And when I'm not doing that, I happen to do these other things. And the minute I said it, I was like, that felt great. And that also is not true because I was definitely a businessman who happened to take care of his family when he wasn't too busy. And that sucked to realize that that's what it was. And I had to have a real come to Jesus moment with myself to admit that as much as I thought I was a great dad, I, I, I had a lot of room to grow. And the minute that I shifted that, I started looking at things differently. My calendar started to shift. I used to give away my best hours to my work. Now I give my best hours to my kids, right? And, and so if a calendar is a representation of our values, um, then, and, and, you know, then I made a nice shift there. And that tagline just represents what I truly wanted to be myself and, and still am aspiring to be. And I think if there's anyone out there not quite sure how that fits in, the thing I read that you, you posted today was imagine yourself in 10 years from now, how old are your kids going to be? And that, yeah, right. that just hits you between the eyes. It's kind oh, of, man. what am I wasting today for? Because yeah. <laughs> tomorrow is literally just around the corner. Yes, yes. Yeah, Fantastic. Right. Well, thank you, John, for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn from your wonderful experiences. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. For more information, please visit educationonfire.com and follow the links from the homepage. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.